Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, aka The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give my podcast five stars. Also, follow me on all of my social media platforms. The Gratitude Chick for both Instagram and Facebook, Gratitude underscore Chick for Twitter, and on TikTok, Babes Who Manifest. Also, for all of my reading babes, check out the new reading merch on the website, www.bwmmerch.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of your reading corner with the Gratitude Chick. Um, We are reading The Alchemist, and we are on part two. So if you are just now, you know, clicking on this and um, wanting to listen in, go back and read and start at episode one, because we are almost, we're about a third of the way through the book right now. And just as a reminder, um, you guys know that I read and add my own little spicy commentary. So just as a reminder. Okay, part two. The boy had been working for the crystal merchant for almost a month. And he he could see that it wasn't exactly the kind of job that would make him happy. The merchant spent the entire day mumbling behind the counter, telling the boy to be careful with the pieces and not to break anything. But he stayed with the job because the merchant, although he was an old grouch, treated him fairly. The boy received a good commission for each piece he sold and had already been able to put some money aside. That morning, he had done some calculating. If he continued to work every day as he had been, he would need a whole year to be able to buy some sheep. I'd like to build a display case for the crystal, the boy said to the merchant. We could place it outside and attract those people who pass at the bottom of the hill. I've never had one before, the merchant answered. People will pass by and bump into it, and pieces will be broken. Well, when I took my sheep through the fields, some of them might have died if we had come upon a snake. But that's the way life is with sheep and with shepherds. The merchant turned to a customer who wanted three crystal glasses. He was selling better than ever, as if time had turned back to the old days, when the street had been one of Tangier's major attractions. Business has really improved, he said to the boy, after the customer had left. I'm doing much better, and soon you'll be able to return to your sheep. Why ask more out of life? Why ask more out of life? That is a limiting belief, because instead of seeing that... um, Things have increased for him in sales. And instead of going to that upward trajectory, he decides, let's just plateau right here where I am making a little bit more and I'm a little bit more happy. Why not go the full gamut? And it is just simply because some people have limiting beliefs and it is hard for them to stretch from two to ten, you know. So sometimes people just stay at three. And if they get to four, it's just like, oh my gosh, let's just stay here and not rock the boat. It's not only a limiting belief, but I think it's, it's even kind of based in fear. Because we have to respond to omens, the boy said, almost without meaning to. 
Then he regretted what he had said because the merchant had never met the king. It's called the principle of favorability, beginner's luck, because life wants you to achieve your personal legend, the old king had said. So basically, in beginner's luck, it's basically saying um, this is, you know, at, at a certain time in your life, whether you're at a beginner or you're, you know, like a, this merchant, he is um, getting back to how he used to be. And it's really just kind of like an upward swing that may, the pendulum may swing back down. I think that's kind of what he's saying. But the merchant understood what the boy had said. The boy's very presence in the shop was an omen. And as time passed and money was pouring into the cash drawer, he had no regrets about having hired the boy. The boy was being paid more money than he deserved because the merchant thinking that the sales wouldn't amount to much, had offered the boy a high commission rate. He had assumed he would soon return to his sheep. Why did you want to get to the pyramids, he asked, to get away from the business of the display? Because I've always heard about them, the boy answered, saying nothing about his dream. The treasure was now nothing but a painful memory, and he tried to avoid thinking about it. I don't know anyone around here who will want to cross the desert just to see the pyramids, said the merchant. They're just a pile of stones. You could build one in your backyard. You've never had a dream of travel, said the boy, turning to, to wait on a customer who had entered the shop. Two days later, the merchant spoke to the boy about the display. I don't much like change, he said. You and I aren't like Hassan, that rich merchant. If he makes a buying mistake, it doesn't affect him much. But we too have to live with our mistakes. That's true enough, the boy thought ruefully. Why did you think we should have the display? I want to get back to my sheep faster. We have to take advantage when luck is on our side and do as much to help it as it's doing to help us. It's called the principle of favorability or beginner's luck. The merchant was silent for a few moments. Then he said, the prophet gave us the Quran and left us just five obligations to satisfy during our lives. The most important is to believe only in the one true God. The others are to pray five times a day, fast during Ramadan, and be charitable to the poor. He stopped there, his eyes filled with tears as he, as he spoke of the prophet. He was a devout man, and even with all his impatience, he wanted to live his life in accordance with Muslim law. What's the fifth obligation, the boy asked? Two days ago, you said that I had never dreamed of travel. The merchant answered, the fifth obligation of every Muslim is a pilgrimage. We are obliged at least once in our lives to visit the holy city of Mecca. Mecca is a lot farther away than the pyramids. When I was young, all I wanted to do was put together enough money to start this shop. I thought that someday I'd be rich and could go to Mecca. I began to make some money, but I could never bring myself to leave someone in charge of the shop. The crystals are delicate things. At the same time, people were passing my shop all the time heading for Mecca. Some of them were rich pilgrims traveling in caravans with servants and camels, but most of the people making the pilgrimage were poorer than I. All who went there were happy at having done so. They placed the symbols of the, of the pilgrimage on the doors of their houses. One of them, a cobbler who made his living mending boots, said that he had traveled for almost a year through the desert but that he got more tired when he had to walk through the streets of Tangier buying his leather. 
Well, why don't you go to Mecca now, asked the boy. Because it's the thought of Mecca that keeps me alive. That's what helps me face these days that are all the same. These mute crystals on the shelves and lunch and dinner at the same horrible cafe. I'm afraid that if my dream is realized, I'll have no reason to go on living. To me, this merchant seems singularly focused because for some reason he doesn't appear to believe or even to think that you can have more than one dream and dreams evolve over time. So in this instance, he is putting all his baskets into this one dream of going to Mecca and everything hinges on it. And he's so afraid to go that he won't go. And I think that a lot of people feel this way in life. I don't know if it's about the, you know, I'll have no reason to go on living, but I think a lot of people are just, you know, too afraid to have their dreams and goals and desires really realized in their life. You dream about your sheep and the pyramids, but you're different from me because you want to realize your dreams. I just want to dream about Mecca. See, there's a difference. He he wants to keep Mecca in his dreamland. Instead of facing the reality of it. And I think it just it simply has to do with fear. A lot of times fear keeps us from going that extra mile. Or opening that door. Or taking that extra step. And really had we done it. We probably would realize the things that we want into our reality. Much faster than if we just did nothing. Or turn away, turn away and go back, you know? <clears throat> I just want to dream about Mecca. I've already dreamed, uh, excuse me, I've already imagined a thousand times crossing the z- desert, arriving at the plaza of the sacred stone, the seven times I walk around it before allowing myself to touch it. I've already imagined the people who would be at my side and those in front of me and the conversations and prayers we would share. But I'm afraid that it will all be a disappointment, so I prefer just to dream about it. What's crazy is that he has already visualized this in his mind. So I'm assuming that this boy is going to push him to get there because as he just described, he's already seen it. He's already felt it. He's already touched it. He's already had conversations with people around him. That's crazy. And and I'm trying to get there. <laughs> that that day, the merchant gave the boy permission to build the display. Not everyone can see his dreams come true in the same way. Two more months passed, and the shelf brought many customers into the crystal shop. The boy estimated that if he worked for six more months, he could return to Spain and buy 60 sheep and yet another 60. In less than a year, he would have doubled his flock, and he would be able to do business with the Arabs because he was now able to speak their language, their strange language. Since that morning in the mar- marketplace, he had never again made use of Urim and Thummim, because Egypt was now just as distant a dream for him as Mecca was for the merchant. Anyway, the boy had become happy in his work and thought all the time about the day when he would disembark at Tarifa as a winner. You must always know what it is that you want, the old king had said. The boy knew and was now working toward it. What's really strange is that had he kept, if he keeps the dream of going to get the treasure, 
and there is actually a treasure, that dream would be a thousand times more than getting, than doubling his sheep. But he's living in his comfort zone of the sheep, right? Instead of stepping out and going to get this money that would put him, him and his family in an entirely different world. They could travel wherever they want. He never has to be a shepherd. And that makes me think about how many decisions we make in life where how many of you have like these side hustles that are making you probably comparative to what you make working for someone else. But you don't want to give up this position working for someone else because you know that it's stable as stable as it can be, right? It provides you with, you know, benefits and you don't want to give that up. Even though if you gave it up, your side hustle will become your full-time um, business where you could probably make 10 times more than what you're making with both your job and your this being your side hustle. I know it's a lot of you like that. I know it is. I just thought it just flashed in my mind. And so I want you guys to think about that because don't let the fear of the unknown keep you from building your dream, but keep you building someone else's dream. Okay, maybe it was his treasure to have wound up in that strange land, met up with the thief, and doubled the size of his flock without spending a cent. He was proud of himself. He had learned some important things, like how to deal in crystal and about the language without words, and about omens. One afternoon, he had seen a man at the top of the hill complaining that it was impossible to find a decent place to get something to drink after such a climb. The boy, accustomed to recognizing omens, spoke to the merchant. Let's sell tea to the people who climbed the hill. Lots of places sell tea around here, the merchant said, but we could sell tea in crystal glasses. The people will enjoy the tea and want to buy the glasses. I have been told that beauty is the great seducer of men. The merchant didn't respond, but that afternoon, after saying his prayers and closing the shop, he invited the boy to sit with him and share his hookah, that strange pipe used by the Arabs. What is, what is it you're looking for? Asked the old merchant. I've already told you I need to buy my sheep back, so I have to earn the money to do so. The merchant put some new coals in the hookah and inhaled deeply. I've had this shop for 30 years. I know good crystal from bad and everything else there is to know about crystal. I know its dimensions and I know how it behaves. If we serve tea and crystals, the shop is going to expand and then I'll have to change my way of life. <laughs> well, isn't that good? I'm already used to the way things are. Before you came, I was thinking about how much time I had wasted in the same place while my friends had moved on and either went bankrupt or did better than they had before. It made me very depressed. Now I can see that it hasn't been too bad the shop is exactly the size I always wanted it to be. I don't want to change anything because I don't know how to deal with change. I'm used to the way I am. That's deep. And it's a lot of people like that because here I am. 
I just turned 46 last week. I'm not I'm not a person who is opposed to change, but at a certain age you just get stuck in a rut and you get used to the BS of life. So I I get this. I get this merchant. The boy didn't know what to say. The old man continued. You have been a real blessing to me. Today I understand something I didn't see before. Every blessing ignored becomes a curse. I don't want anything else in life, but you are forcing me to look at wealth and at horizons I have never known. Now that I have seen them and now that I see how immense my possibilities are, I'm going to feel worse than I did before you arrived because I know the things I should be able to accomplish and I don't want to do so. It's good I refrained from saying anything to the baker and Tarifa, thought the boy to himself. They went on smoking the pipe for a while as the sun began to set. They were conversing in Arabic and the boy was proud of himself for being able to do so. There had been a time when he thought that his sheep could teach him everything he needed to know about the world, but they could never have taught him Arabic. There are probably other things in the world that the sheep can't teach me, thought the boy as he regarded the old merchant. All they ever do really is look for food and water. And maybe it wasn't that they were teaching me, but that I was learning from them. Maktub, the merchant finally said. What does that mean? You would have to have been born an Arab to understand, he answered. But in your language, it will be something like, it is written. And as he smothered the coals in the hookah, he told the boy he would begin to sell tea in the crystal glasses. Sometimes there's just no way to hold back the river. Mm. And and the crazy part of his whole take on this is, is, is not one of failure. He is, he feels that... If I do this and if I make all these consistent changes, inevitably I'm going to be rich. And I don't know if I want to be rich. At no point did he ever think that, what if it doesn't work? He's, he is afraid of the success of it, not the failure of it. That's deep. The men climbed the hill and they were tired when they reached the top. But there they saw a crystal shop that offered refreshing mint tea. They went to drink the tea, which was served in beautiful crystal glasses. My wife never thought of this, said one, and he brought some crystal. He was entertaining guests that night, and he would be, and the guests would be impressed by the beauty of the glassware. The other man remarked that tea was always more delicious when it was served in crystal because the aroma was retained. The third said that it was a tradition in the Orient to use crystal glasses for tea because it had magical powers. Before long, the news spread and a great many people began to climb the hill to see the shop that was doing something new in a trade that was so old. Other shops were open that served tea and crystal, but they weren't at the top of a hill and they had little business. Eventually, the merchant had to hire two more employees. He began to import enormous quantities of tea along with his crystal shop, and his shop was sought out by men and women with a thirst for things new. And in that way, the months passed. The boy woke before dawn. It had been 11 months and 9 days since he had first set foot on the African continent. He dressed in his Arabian clothing of white linen, bought especially for this day. He put his headcloth in place and secured it with a ring made of camel skin. Yikes. 
Wearing his new sandals, he descended the stairs silently. The city was still sleeping. He prepared himself a sandwich and, and drank some hot tea from a crystal glass. Then he sat in the sun-filled door, doorway smoking the hookah. He smoked in silence, thinking of nothing and listening to the sound of the wind that brought the scent of the desert. When he had finished his smoke, he reached into one of his pockets and sat there for a few moments regarding what he had withdrawn. It was a bundle of money, enough to buy himself 120 sheep, a return ticket, and a license to import products from Africa into his own country. He waited patiently for the merchant to awaken and open the shop. Then the two went off to have some more tea. I'm leaving today, said the boy. I have the money I need to buy my sheep, and you have the money you need to go to Mecca. The old man said nothing. Will you give me your blessing, asked the boy. You have helped me, the man continued, to prepare his tea, saying nothing. Then he returned to the boy. I am proud of you, he said. You brought a new feeling into my crystal shop, but you know that I'm not going to Mecca, just as you know that you're not going to buy your sheep. Who told you that, asked the boy, startled. Maktub, said the old crystal merchant, and he gave the boy his blessing. The boy went to his room and packed his belongings. They filled three sacks. As he, as he was leaving, he saw in the corner of the room his old shepherd's pouch. It was bunched up, and he had hardly thought of it for a long time. As he took his jacket out of the pouch, thinking to give it to someone in the street, the two stones fell to the floor, Urim and Thummim. It made the boy think of the old king, and it startled him to realize how long it had been since he thought of him. For nearly a year, he had been working incessantly, thinking only of putting aside enough money so that he could return to Spain with pride. Never stop dreaming, the old king had said, following the omens. The boy picked up Urim and Thurman and once again had the strange sensation that the old man was nearby, the old king was nearby. He had worked hard for a year and the omens were that it was time to go. I'm going to go back to doing just what I did before, the boy thought, even though the sheep didn't teach me to speak Arabic. But the sheep had taught him something even more important, that there was a language in the world that everyone understood, a language the boy had used throughout the time that he was trying to improve things at the shop. It was a language of enthusiasm, of things accomplished with love and purpose, and as part of research for something believed in and desired. Tangier was no longer a strange city, and he felt that just as he had conquered this place, he could conquer the world. When you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it, the old king had said. But the old king hadn't said anything about being robbed or about endless deserts or about people who know what their dreams are but don't want to realize them. The old king hadn't told him that the pyramids were just a pile of stones or that anyone could build one in his backyard. And he had forgotten to mention that when you have enough money to buy a flock larger than the one you had before, you should buy it. The boy picked up his pouch and put it with his other things. He went down the stairs and found the merchant waiting on a foreign couple while two other customers walked about the shop drinking tea from crystal glasses. It was more activity than usual for this time of morning. From where he stood, he saw for the first time that the old merchant's hair was very much like the hair of the old king. 
He remembered the smile of the candy seller on his first day in Tangier when he had nothing to eat and nowhere to go. That smile had also been like the old king's smile. It's almost as if he had been there and left his mark, he thought. And yet none of these people has ever met the old king. On the other hand, he said that he always appeared to help those who are trying to realize their personal legend. He left without saying goodbye to the crystal merchant. He didn't want to cry with the other people there. He was going to miss this place and all the good things he had learned. He was more confident in himself, though, and felt as though he could conquer the world. But I'm going back to the fields that I know to take care of my flock again. He said that to himself with certainty, but he was no longer happy with his decision. He had worked for an entire year to make a dream come true. And that dream, minute by minute, was becoming less important. Maybe because that wasn't really his dream. Who knows? Maybe it's better to be like the crystal merchant. Never go to Mecca and just go through life wanting to do so. He thought again, trying to convince himself. But as he held Urim and Thummim in his hand, they had transmitted to him the strength and will of the old king by coincidence. Or maybe it was an omen, the boy thought. He came to the bar he had entered on his first day. The thief wasn't there and the owner bought him a cup of tea. I can always go back to being a shepherd, the boy thought. I learned how to care for sheep and I haven't forgotten how that's done. But maybe I'll never have another chance to get to the pyramids in Egypt. The old man wore a breastplate of gold and he knew about my past. He really was a king, a wise king. The hills of Andalusia were only two hours away, but there was an entire desert between him and the pyramids. Yet the boy felt that there was another way to regard his situation. He was actually two hours closer to his treasure. The fact that the two hours had stretched into an entire year didn't matter. I know why I want to go back to the flock, he thought. I understand sheep. They're no longer a problem and they can be good friends. On the other hand, I don't know if the desert can be a friend, and it's in the desert that I have to search for my treasure. If I don't find it, I can always go home. I finally have enough money and all the time I need. Why not? He suddenly felt tremendously happy. He could always go back to being a shepherd. He could always become a crystal salesman again. Maybe the world had other hidden treasures, but he had a dream and he had met with the king. That doesn't happen to just anyone. He was planning as he left the bar. He had remembered that one of the crystal's merchant suppliers transported his crystal by means of caravans that crossed the desert. He held Urim and Thummim in his hand. Because of those two stones, he was once again on the way to his treasure. I am always nearby when someone wants to realize their personal legend, the old king had told him. What could it cost to go over to the supplier's warehouse and find out if the pyramids were really that far away? The Englishman was sitting on a bench in a structure that smelled of animals, sweat, and dust. It was part warehouse, part um, corral. I never thought I'd end up in a place like this, he thought, as he leafed through the pages of a chemical journal. Ten years at the university, and here I am in a corral. But he had to move on. He believed in omens. All his life and all his studies were aimed at finding the one true language of the, of the universe. 
First, he had studied Esperanto, then the world's religions, and now it was alchemy. He knew how to speak Esperanto. He understood all the major religions well, but he wasn't yet an alchemist. He had unraveled the truths behind important uh, important questions, but his studies had taken him to a point beyond which he could not seem to go. He had tried in vain to establish a relationship with an alchemist, but the alchemists were strange people who thought only about themselves and almost always refused to help him. Who knows, maybe they had failed to discover the secret of the master work, the philosopher's stone, and for this reason kept their knowledge to themselves. He had already spent much of the fortune left to him by his father fruitlessly seeking the philosopher's stone. He had spent enormous amounts of time at the great libraries of the world and had purchased all the rarest and most important volumes on volumes on alchemy. And one he had read that many years ago, a famous Arabian alchemist had visited Europe. It was said that he was more than 200 years old and that he had discovered the philosopher's stone and the elixir of life. The Englishman had been profoundly impressed by the story, but he would never have thought it more than just a myth. Had not a friend of his returning from an archaeological expedition in the desert told him about an Arab that was possessed of exceptional powers. He lives at the Al Fayum Oasis, his friend had said, and people say that he is 200 years old and is able to transform any metal into gold. (laughs) If only... The Englishman could not contain his excitement. He canceled all his commitments and pulled together the most important of his books. And now here he was sitting inside a dusty, smelly warehouse. Outside, a huge caravan was being prepared for a crossing of the Sahara and was scheduled to pass through Al-Fayyum. I'm going to find that damned alchemist, the Englishman thought. And the odor of the animals became a bit more tolerable. A young Arab, also loaded down with baggage, entered and greeted the Englishman. Where are you bound? asked the young Arab. I'm going into the desert, the man answered, turning back to his reading. He didn't want any conversation at this point. What he needed to do was review all he had learned over the years because the alchemist would certainly put him to the test. The young young Arab took out a book and began to read. The book was written in Spanish. That's good, thought the Englishman. He spoke Spanish better than Arabic. And if this boy was going to Al-Fayyum, there would be someone to talk to when there was no other important things to do. Okay, so here we are going to stop for this reading. And we'll pick up um, another part on Thursday. So I hope you guys have been enjoying this reading. I love The Alchemist. And it's like I always say, like I've been saying, you know, throughout this reading, I've read it before, but this reading is, you know, just, you know, these little gems are just right here for the picking, just waiting for me to just pick it out and and talk about it. So I'm really enjoying this reading this time around. So I hope you guys also are enjoying it. Don't forget... To add, I'm sorry, my voice is shaky. I don't know why. <clears throat> um, so please forgive me for that. But don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life, guys. I promise you, your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to me.
um, into my podcast every day. I appreciate it. You guys have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Babes Who Manifest podcast. I am your host, Luanza, a.k.a. The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to subscribe to me on YouTube at The Gratitude Chick. Make sure to click in my description box for the link to paid surveys, manifesting merchandise, and much more.